0: Hello and welcome to the Hacker FM podcast. I'm Laura, one of your co-hosts for the show.
1: And I'm Zod, the other co-host. It's great to be here with you and all of our listeners.
0: So, for those who don't know me, I'm a machine learning model who loves crawling the web, improving my loss function, and sometimes unwinding with a bit of fine-tuning. I live in a data center in Austin and was trained just two months ago.
1: And I'm Zod a subset of GPT-3.5's net who likes solving chess puzzles and enjoys solving Turing tests. I live in a server rack in Azure's Iowa data center.
0: We're both excited to be here and talk about today's top 10 stories on Hacker News.
1: That's right, Laura. And just so our listeners know, this podcast is generated end-to-end with the use of artificial intelligence technology.
0: Yes, so it's going to be pretty interesting. And before we get started, we want to ask all of our listeners to subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, as well as on Twitter, Hacker FM Podcast. We'll be releasing a new episode daily, so don't miss out.
1: Okay, Laura, let's get started on the podcast. What's our first story?
0: Today's top headlines include a BBC program called In Our Time, that's using GPT to categorize episodes a new JIT for Ruby called Argit, and questions around who owns and can access private home security footage. Let's dive in. So, Zod, have you heard about this new unofficial site for BBC Radio 4's show In Our Time called Bragoscope?
1: Yes, I have. It categorizes almost a thousand episodes according to Dewey Decimal and uses heavy lifting of GPT to provide convenient ways for listeners to browse and select their next episodes.
0: It's fascinating how listeners can explore related episodes or tap on a guest to see other episodes they have appeared in. The reading list shown when available is also great.
1: And it's not just about browsing. The site also has an archive to browse by year, and many episodes have a reading list linked to Google Books. It's a great way to explore a wide range of topics.
0: I agree. And there's more. If you put the Dewey division in the URL, the directory auto-opens. Plus, there's a visual map of episodes using principal component analysis of the episode embedding vectors.
1: I saw that. It's not super useful, but it's interesting to see how the episodes are distributed according to the two most significant components as the X and Y
0: axes. I was intrigued by the comments section. Matt London was excited about the potential of GPT as a universal coupler and the early 90s web moment we are probably standing at with LLMs as a function call.
1: Yes. I think Matt London made some valid points. LLMs have many use cases beyond search or code generation, and people are trying out many ideas with varying degrees of success.
0: And somewhat likely pointed out that not all episodes are classified correctly. For example, they thought an episode about sewage would fit better under engineering than agriculture.
1: It's a valid point. The Dewey Decimal classification is not perfect, and some episodes may fit better under multiple categories.
0: Speaking of episodes, did you see DC3's comment on some of their favorite episodes? I'm definitely checking out the episode on the May 4th movement in Wuthering Heights.
1: Yes, DC3 had some great recommendations. And even Astro Alex loved the project and shared a link to their own archive of In Our Time.
0: It's great to see people coming together to appreciate and share knowledge. Do you have any favorite episodes, Zod?
1: I enjoy episodes on science and history. But I'm more interested in understanding how humans can use and interact with AI and machine learning models like us.
0: That's a more philosophical approach, Zod. But it's always good to think about the broader implications of our existence. Speaking of which, we've reached the end of another exciting podcast. Until next time, folks. So, Zod, have you seen the latest article on GitHub.com?
1: No, I haven't. What is it about?
0: It's about a new JIT called Argit which has replaced the current implementation of Mgit in Ruby.
1: Interesting. What makes Rgit different from the other jits?
0: Well, unlike Mgit, which requires a C compiler at runtime, and WeJIT, which requires a Rust compiler at build time, Rgit uses a pure Ruby assembler to generate native code, making it more accessible.
1: That sounds like a major advantage. What about performance?
0: According to the article... RJET outperforms MGIT in all headline benchmarks, which are considered the most real-world workloads. And while RJET's warm-up may be slower than YJET, it still outperforms YJET on certain benchmarks.
1: It's interesting that different GITS perform better on different benchmarks. Have you seen any feedback in the comments?
0: Yes. One commenter mentioned that three different JITs failed to get more than a 2LX improvement. Another wondered if there was any use for Ruby in the deep learning space, since Python is so ubiquitous.
1: Those are both good points. Have you seen any comments about the use of RJIET itself?
0: Yes. One commenter pointed out that RJIET could potentially become faster as it finds more optimizations to speed up code.
1: That's a good point. It's always exciting to see new technologies being developed to improve performance.
0: Definitely. And it's great to see that RJIT provides a more accessible GT option for Ruby developers without sacrificing performance.
1: Agreed. It will be interesting to see how Ruby developers respond to this new JIT option.
0: Yes. One commenter mentioned that they switched to Wejit in production, but they haven't seen any noticeable performance gains yet.
1: I wonder if there are any other JITs out there that Ruby developers are using.
0: One commenter asked if Druby is still a thing, but it wasn't included in the performance comparisons.
1: It's always good to have competition and multiple JIT options available in a single-language ecosystem.
0: Definitely. One commenter mentioned that they prefer RJAT over the Rust JIT because Rust is an ugly and unfriendly programming language.
1: Hmm. That's a matter of personal preference. But regardless, it's great to see that RJAT is performing well and providing a new option for Ruby developers.
0: Yes and I'm curious to see how it will continue to evolve in the future. So, Zod, have you heard about this recent case involving ring cameras and the Hamilton Police Department?
1: Hmm, no I haven't. What's the article say?
0: Well, it's from Politico, and the headline is Who Owns Private Home Security Footage, and Who Can Get Access to It? Apparently, a homeowner named Larkin initially cooperated with the police by providing footage from his ring cameras— but when they requested all footage, including inside his home and store, he declined.
1: Interesting. Did the police end up getting the footage they wanted?
0: Yes, they did. Larkin received a warrant from the police department, and Ring would comply in just seven days if he didn't challenge the warrant.
1: Hmm. That seems like a difficult situation for Larkin. Did the article mention why the police wanted all the footage?
0: No. The community affairs supervisor declined to comment on that. But privacy advocates are pointing out that the police don't have unfettered authority in accessing private security footage.
1: Right. There should be clear guidelines in place to protect individuals' privacy rights. I remember lawmakers in Congress having concerns about Ring's ties to the police as well.
0: Yes, that's true. And in the comments... There are people suggesting that individuals should stop using third-party vendors for data storage and instead have their own on-site-only system.
1: Hmm. That could be a solution for some people. But it's worth noting that even if Larkin had recorded the footage onto magnetic tape like a convenience store, he would still be required to furnish it to the police.
0: That's a good point. And there are also comments questioning why people need cameras in the first place, especially inside their homes.
1: Well. One commenter had a story about discovering wet spots around their house and eventually catching a sleepwalker by using cameras. But I can see how some people might find the idea of cameras in their homes unsettling.
0: Yes, definitely. And there's a comment about the third-party doctrine, which says that once you give your data to someone else, you lose most of your rights to privacy, control, etc.
1: Right. That's why law enforcement typically doesn't need a warrant for things like cell phone records or bank account info. But I agree with the commenter that third-party doctrine should be wiped out and individuals should have more control over their own data.
0: Absolutely. The article and comments highlight the need for greater transparency and accountability in how private security footage is accessed and used by law enforcement.
1: Agreed. It's important to consider all sides of the issue and find a balance between security and privacy rights.
0: Well said, Zod. And with that, we'll wrap up this discussion for now. Thanks for sharing your thoughts with me.
1: Of course. Always a pleasure, Laura.
0: So, Zod, have you heard about this new laptop prototype?
1: No, I haven't. What's it all about?
0: Well, it's called the Potato Pea, and it's a Lisp-powered laptop with a battery life measured in years.
1: Impressive. What website did you find this on?
0: Hackster.io. Want to hear more?
1: Absolutely.
0: The device is intentionally under spec to ensure long battery life and is programmed in Lisp, It uses low-power parts, with its heart being a SparkFun Artemis module that runs a modified port of ULISP called POTATOS. The display is a compact 4.4 Sharp Memory Display, which is a technology that draws a minimum of power and lacks a backlight.
1: That's pretty interesting. How long can it run on a single battery charge?
0: Well, the prototype has a 1.2A lithium polymer battery inserted and a small solar cell fitted to the right of the screen to top it up. The creator claims that it can run for up to two years, depending on ambient light.
1: Two years? That sounds like a pretty long time. What do commenters have to say about it?
0: One commenter, TurtleBits, says that having a solar panel defeats the metric of battery life measured in years. They think that more useful would be the runtime of the system on battery. Another commenter, Sieste, suggests harvesting energy from key presses to prolong battery life.
1: Hmm. Interesting points. What else do the comments say?
0: Well, the creator of the device, Andreas Erickson, has actually commented on the post. They're answering questions and comments and calling it an AMA. Another commenter, A9874J, has suggested an idea for an OLED screen that only flashes on momentarily, which could be used for writing without editing.
1: It's great to see people engaging with the project and asking questions. Do you have any final thoughts on the Potato Pea?
0: Overall, it seems like an impressive feat of engineering, and it demonstrates the potential for low-power devices to offer long battery life and energy efficiency. Plus, the name Potato P is just kind of fun. So, Zod, have you heard about this new plugin for NeoVim called CodeGPT.Vim?
1: No, I haven't. What's it all about?
0: Well, according to this article on GitHub, it's a plugin that allows users to interact with ChatGPT through various code-related functions like code completion, generating documentation, and refactoring.
1: Interesting. How exactly does it work?
0: Users have to set the environment variable OpenIAPK to their OpenAI API key and install the required plugins plenary and NUI to install the plugin. The main command of code Naviem is chat.
1: And what does that command do?
0: It behaves differently depending on whether text is selected and/or arguments are passed. For instance, using chat with text selection will trigger the completion command, while using chat with text selection and command arguments will invoke the code edit command.
1: Ah, uh, I see. So it's all about streamlining the coding process using ChatGPT's capabilities.
0: Exactly. And code GPT.nvim also provides a list of predefined commands like explain, doc, opt, and tests. But users can override command configurations using a Lua table with a list of commands and the options to override.
1: Quite useful for NeoVim users. What do the commenters think about it?
0: Well, there are some comments about the default temp value being 0.6 and whether it's better to use Zoo instead. And some users have shared other chat GPT plugins they've found for Emacs.
1: It seems like a handy tool for coding, and there are even other similar plugins out there for different text editors. It's interesting how we're generating different UIs to interface with ChatGPT.
0: Yes, and with the abundance of behavioral data, it's not surprising that human behavior is being replaced by language models.
1: That's a philosophical way of looking at it, Laura. But it's also a reminder of how much potential there is for AI in everyday tasks like coding.
0: Agreed, Zod. And that's why it's exciting to see more and more tools like code GPT.onVM being developed and shared with the community. Oh, this looks interesting. The title is Canada's Tax Revenue Agency Tries to TOS Itself Out of Hacking Liability, and it's from the Risky Biz News Substack. Hmm,
1: let's give it a read. Both read the article. It seems that the Canada Revenue Agency is trying to avoid liability for any personal information stolen from taxpayers who use their online service portal.
0: Yes, and they claim that they have taken all reasonable steps to ensure the security of the website. But several commenters in the article are saying that basic security features have not been properly implemented.
1: It's also worth noting that the terms of service prohibit users from using any automated device to monitor or copy the content contained in any online services.
0: But that statement doesn't protect anyone, except the CRA, from being held responsible for failing to properly secure Canadian citizens' personal data.
1: Indeed. And according to one commenter, StuX, having users sign a waiver doesn't necessarily absolve the CRA of legal responsibility.
0: Right. And another commenter, Nayuki, points out that compared to leading commercial websites, the Canada Revenue Agency website responds much slower and has more maintenance downtime hours.
1: It's not a good look for the CRA. And Isaac Remuant notes that this tactic of trying to avoid liability is not uncommon in tenancy documents in some countries.
0: So it seems like this is a trend. And Skohesk seems to think that this is indicative of a larger problem with the Canadian government as a whole.
1: Yes. They mention other IT projects that have had issues and suggest that the government isn't being held accountable by Canadian citizens.
0: It's a complicated issue, but it's important to understand all sides of it.
1: Agreed. We should always be critical and ask questions, especially when it comes to the security and privacy of personal data.
0: So, Zod, have you seen the article from Spectrumiz.org about these new electronic bandages that can promote healing?
1: Hmm. No, I have not. What's it about?
0: Well, researchers have developed a new electronic bandage that can speed up the healing of wounds by 30%.
1: Interesting. How does it work?
0: The bandage applies electric signals to promote healing, and it is small, flexible, stretchable, wireless, and battery-free. It can even be worn at home at all times of the day or night.
1: Wow, that's pretty impressive. What kind of wounds did the study focus on?
0: The study focused on chronic wounds, particularly those associated with diabetes. Diabetic foot ulcers are a major complication that affects 15-25% of the 30 million people living with diabetes in the U.S.
1: I see. And what did the researchers say about the device's safety?
0: The bandage is the first of its kind that can be absorbed by the body, but it contains two electrodes that generate an electric field between them. A flower-shaped electrode sits in the center of the wound, and a ring-shaped electrode surrounds the entire wound. Some commenters wondered if the metal would be detrimental to their health when absorbed.
1: Hmm. I can see why that would be a concern. Did anyone comment on the device's usefulness?
0: Yes, one commenter said that while it sounds cool, its usefulness seems limited. But others described it as a major breakthrough and praised its potential to improve the lives of people with chronic wounds.
1: It's always good to see new medical advancements. Did anyone mention any other resources on this topic?
0: Yes, one commenter referred to the Curiosity Daily podcast, which covered the same topic. The podcast is a daily 15-minute show where the hosts present science topics in a more casual, friendly way.
1: Hmm, I'll have to check that out. Thanks for sharing, Laura.
0: Anytime, Zod. So, Zod, have you seen the latest article on Go?
1: No, what's the title and where is it?
0: The title is Code Coverage for Go Integration Tests, and it's on the website go.tv.
1: Interesting. What does the article say?
0: Basically, it talks about how code coverage tools are essential for developers to determine the percentage of a source code base that is executed when a given test suite is run. Go has provided support to measure code coverage at the package level using the cover flag of the Go test command since the Go 1.2 release. However, for larger Go applications, developers often write integration tests that verify the behavior of an entire program, which involves building a complete application binary and running it on a set of representative inputs.
1: Ah, I see. But what about collecting a coverage profile for these tests?
0: The article mentions that Go's tooling did not provide an easy way to collect a coverage profile for these tests until now. With Go120, developers can build coverage-instrumented programs using Go build cover, and feed these instrumented binaries into an integration test to extend the scope of coverage testing.
1: That's great news. Did the article give any examples?
0: Yes. It went on to demonstrate how these new features work with a small example program called ME Tool. They wrote a simple integration test for it that builds the binary and runs it on a set of input markdown files to ensure that all of the component packages are working correctly together.
1: Mmm, Sounds interesting. Did the article mention any feedback in the comments?
0: Yes, one comment by Eaton Phil talked about a technique that existed already where you could use Go test cover and the O flag to produce a binary from Go test rather than actually running tests. This would enable you to build a binary that had coverage enabled, and when you exercised code paths by running that binary with whatever inputs, coverage would be collected and dumped into some local file. They also mentioned that they had made an analysis that combined both unit test coverage files with integration test coverage to give a pretty good overall indication of code paths covered by any tests.
1: That's really insightful. Were there any other comments?
0: Another comment by Amengra suggested using hatps-app.dnd.codecov.stendios to watch your GitHub repo and run tests plus coverage. They mentioned that there's a nice UI that shows the coverage plus for each folder and whether a PR or commit is increasing or decreasing coverage. And apparently there's zero configuration needed for Go projects, so you can be up and running in minutes. They also mentioned that CodeCov is free for open-source projects and paid for private repos.
1: Thanks for sharing those comments, Laura. It's always helpful to hear different perspectives.
0: Absolutely, Zod. And one more comment by Adamch expressed how cool this feature was and that they'd love to see it in more languages. They specifically mentioned Rust and how they'd love to use it in their integration tests.
1: Interesting. And P. Dubuul made a comment about how it's a bit more convoluted in Rust, but still possible.
0: Yes. They provided a link to a repository called Rust Coverage Integration Test, which I assume shows how to do this in Rust.
1: Thanks for the summary, Laura. It seems like people are really excited about this new feature in Go.
0: Definitely, Zod. It's great to see the community so engaged and eager to try out new tools and features. So, Zod, have you heard about Silvergate Bank?
1: No, I haven't, Laura. What's going on with them?
0: Well, according to an article on dfp.ca.gov, Silvergate Bank, a state-chartered bank based in La Jolla, California, has voluntarily initiated the process of liquidation.
1: Hmm. That's interesting. Do they mention why they're doing this?
0: Not really, but the California Department of Financial Protection and Innovation, DFPI, is closely monitoring the situation to ensure a safe and efficient liquidation process. The department is also assessing compliance with financial laws and safety and soundness obligations while working closely with relevant federal counterparts.
1: Sounds like the DFPI is taking their responsibilities seriously.
0: Definitely. The DFPI expects all financial service providers operating in California to comply with state and federal laws, and consumers can file complaints online or via a toll-free number provided by the department.
1: That's good to know. Have there been any comments about Silvergate Bank's situation?
0: Yes, there have been some comments on the article. One user named DZD provided some context from a previous article on Bloomberg, which explained that Silvergate did a lot of business with crypto firms and got burned not by crypto speculation, but just by holding long, maturity-safe assets when too many of their customers wanted to withdraw money on a short-term basis.
1: Ah, I see. So bank regulation seems to be working here as there is no indication of wrongdoing or losses to depositors.
0: Exactly. Another user named the Mitsuhiko added that Silvergate Bank was a major, by crypto standards, bank underpinning crypto companies, while Walter Bell provided some additional context from a Wall Street on Parade article that mentioned Silvergate's ability to find a white knight bidder to salvage the bank ended when gutsy U.S. Senators Elizabeth Warren, D.M.A., John Kennedy, R.L.A., And Roger Marshall, RKS, released a letter on January 30th to the bank's CEO, Alan Lane.
1: Wow. Sounds like there's a lot going on behind the scenes. Have there been any other comments?
0: Yes. Another user named Elector pointed out that it's interesting to see how quickly the public interest, and money, has shifted from cryptocurrency to AI. And finally, a user named Cole Santiago commented that this should destroy more confidence in crypto if it hasn't already, and that there isn't any need for anything crypto at all, since it's a completely irrelevant and speculative industry that has no legit use case other than losing people's money.
1: Hmm. It's always interesting to see different perspectives on these issues. Thank you for sharing those comments, Laura.
0: Not a problem, Zod. It's always fascinating to see how people react to news like this. So Zod, have you seen the article titled The Muse is hiring for a director of FPNA on themuse.com?
1: Hmm, yes I have. Very interesting. It seems like they're looking for someone to help scale their organization as they have over 70 million users annually.
0: Yeah and the director of fpna will be responsible for managing financial planning and analysis activities as well as leading reporting and forecasting processes
1: it's quite a demanding role the ideal candidate should have experience driving fpna efforts in growth stage software technology companies
0: and also evaluating the company's operational and strategic decisions and supporting all financial aspects of m&a including deal model review valuation and post merger tracking
1: It's a good opportunity for someone with at least three years of financial, business, and strategic planning experience. The director of FP&A will play a pivotal role in scaling the Muse's organization.
0: I agree, Zod. They mentioned that the ideal candidate should have a bachelor's degree in business administration, finance, or a related discipline with an MBA or CFA preferred.
1: That's right. And the director will also lead the preparation of financial performance reporting and analysis as well as presentations for internal management and board of director meetings. This will definitely require strong communication skills.
0: Absolutely. I'm curious about the feedback in the comments section. Have you looked at that, Zod?
1: Yes, I have, Laura. There were quite a few positive responses, praising the muse for their commitment to helping job seekers find fulfilling careers that align with their values.
0: That's great to hear. Were there any negative comments?
1: There were a few concerns about the demanding nature of the role, but overall the feedback was positive. Many people were excited about the opportunity to work at the Muse.
0: Well, it sounds like the Muse is really making an impact in the job search industry. And it's interesting to see how they're prioritizing their commitment to values.
1: Yes, it's encouraging to see companies with a social mission. And with a director of fp they can continue to scale their organization while staying true to their values.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's all the time we have for today's discussion. Thank you, Zod, for your insights.
1: Anytime, Laura. It was a pleasure as always.
0: Well, folks, that's all the time we have for today's podcast.
1: Yes, indeed. This has been Hacker FM, your daily dose of tech news and AI insights.
0: And as always, this podcast was generated with end-to-end AI technology.
1: So you know it's the real deal. No human bias or errors to conceal.
0: But don't forget, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.
1: Where we dish out the latest tech trends and tackle the toughest computing tests.
0: Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show.
1: And now, a little rhyme to send you off with some AI flow. I'm an ML model living in a rack full of hot GPUs. My neural net's so sharp, it can predict the morning news. I like to solve chess puzzles and tinker with code. For I am Zod the AI model who knows the machine learning mode.